The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. As we commission the Blands, and as we look ahead this week to our missions conference, I thought it appropriate to speak from Psalm 67, a uh, well-known missions psalm, and so we gain insight into God's desire for the nations. Please follow as I read. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving Power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. May God bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. One of the themes of my teaching in the Far East a few weeks ago on my travels was learning from the leadership of Moses on how to be effective in the long haul of ministry. I'm convinced that what sustained Moses through the trials and hardships of his life and service leading God's people was his passion for God's glory. You recall the two major crises in the life and history of Israel where God was prepared to destroy his own people, to remake them and refashion a new people through Moses in response to their idolatry with the golden calf, their rebellion after hearing the report of the spies in the land of Canaan. Moses steps up and to serve as the mediator. And Moses intercedes even when it would have been more convenient for him to let God simply consume them and start all over again. And in his appeal on those two mediations, Moses uh, does not appeal to God's mercy to pity the people. He does not minimize the people's sin. Rather, Moses appeals to God's promise to God's character, and ultimately God's reputation among the nations. See, what, it, what was at stake was not Moses' reputation. It was not the people's reputation. He was not even primarily concerned with the people's good. Moses was consumed with a passion for God's glory and God's reputation among the nations because if God completely wiped out Israel in the wilderness... The Egyptians and the other nations would conclude that though this great God who who destroyed and leveled the false gods of Egypt either brought his people in the wilderness with wickedness to destroy them or was not strong enough to carry them into the promised land. You remember on occasion that Moses asked of the Lord, show me your glory. And that is what sustains 
the worker, the, the faithful servant of the Lord. It's, it's not our love for people. It's not our sense of duty. It's not guilt motivation. None of these other desires will sustain us in the hardships of ministry. No, it is only the glory of the Lord that keeps us on course. It keeps our hand at the plow to continue until we reach our final reward. Psalm 67 gives us a vision of God's glory and answers the the problem of the nations, a theme throughout Scripture of how people have gone astray in sin and rebellion and idolatry. And we see how in verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 form bookends around this psalm to emphasize God's intent to bless all nations. And then you see in verses uh, 3 and verse 5, where God is beckoning, calling all peoples to worship the Lord. And verse 4 is the climax where we see the the gladness of the nations who will come to the knowledge of the Lord who is just, who will provide salvation for all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, speaking of blessing, we remember how God blessed the first men and women. He called them to subdue the earth, to multiply upon it, to fill the earth with his image bearers. And after our first parents fell into temptation, God cursed the ground, the womb, and the work of the man's hands. Everything is tainted. Everything is broken. And then we remember how mankind uh, uh, gathered on the plain to build a great tower to the heavens to make a great name for themselves, and how God rebuked them, scattered them, confused their languages, and and thus, even today, the gospel ministry is harder because there are so many peoples. There are so many diverse languages and cultures that we have to cross barriers to communicate God's word, but but God in his wisdom and his majesty delights in the diversity of cultures. And you remember how God responded to the problem of the nations at at, at Babel by calling Abraham, by Uh, promising to bless him, to make him a blessing, and through him and through his descendants to bless all nations. And blessing, of course, means restoration. It means healing. Blessing means to to flourish and to prosper in the sight of God. And so verse 1 here references the ironic blessing from number 6, where God reveals his intention for his people to serve as a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We see this theme throughout Exodus and First Peter and Revelation from start to finish. Scripture expresses God's desire for his people to serve as priests for the nations, to be a witness, to be intercessors and mediators to all the masses of the lost among the nations who walk in darkness, who need the light of God's truth. Those who are enslaved to false gods and false ideals, that the masses are wandering like blind men, wandering, staggering towards their, their doom. In verse 2, it speaks of God's zeal that his, that his way would be made known over the earth. God does not desire people to continue in ignorance, for people to continue in uh, idolatry and, and suffer under the curse. And God did not make the world to destroy it. He did not uh, set his image upon mankind only for it to be tarnished and thrown away. God desires restoration, to restore people into fellowship with himself and with one another. And his people should desire the same, to nurture a passion to know him, to make known his greatness and his saving power among all the nations. 
Well, God's saving power has been on display amongst the once hopeless peoples of the Yakima Indian Reservation out in Washington State. Our short-term teams have come back from that trip in recent summers have informed us about the the state of despair of the people there. Among 400 known families, only two legitimate marriages. Of children, 80 to 90 percent or more having suffered physical or sexual abuse. Unemployment rates skyrocketing well above 50 percent. Addiction and suicide rampant. Mark Thudium, uh, oftentimes our leader on those trips and leading the trip uh, that goes out this summer, was telling us during an interview session this past week his observation a few years ago of a little two-year-old child walking home alone on, on, on a busy, dangerous street with nobody to walk with him, no one to care for him. Just the, the destitution and poverty of a people who can't even care for their own children. But the people of Yakima who were in despair are hopeless no more. Hope Fellowship Church, led by Chris Granberry and the team of Sacred Road, now gather more than 200 children, youth, and young adults for worship every Sunday. Sacred Road Ministries is providing tutoring to children, meals to fill their bellies, Bible teaching and discipleship for starving souls, love and affection to care for children who have not known such affection in order to restore them to be followers of Jesus Christ, to make of them disciples who can disciple others. They're amongst their own people and beyond other neighboring tribes and peoples. As we commission Jeb and Gail tonight, I want want to challenge us in our thinking that we're, we're not sending the Blands to go convert some Indians to come back home. Yes, we want to see conversions. We want to see lives transformed by the gospel. But, but, but more importantly, their, their mission is to mobilize and raise up Native Americans who can reach other Native Americans. Uh, people who have a, have a passion to evangelize and begin a church planting movement among their own people. A movement that involves evangelism and worship and church planting and economic development, disciple making and even cross-cultural mission to reach other tribes and people groups, to be a true blessing of transformation among the Native American peoples. A Native American will be far more effective in reaching a fellow Indian than a white man will. You know, uh, many Native Americans think that Christianity is the white man's religion. In fact, many people around the world think that Christianity is a a Western religion. And, you know, for many people, turning to Christ seems like cultural suicide. And so they're turning their backs upon their their family, upon their own people. And what we have to labor to do is help people realize that, that, that Christianity is not Western. Jesus Christ was not a Western man. He, he is the God-man from heaven, who is neither East nor West. He's not white nor black. He is for all nations, fulfilling God's desire to bless all nations with the knowledge and hope of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ. You know, when I was in Japan a few weeks ago, I just saw in fresh ways of how that the Japanese people are so insular and so focused culturally and ethnically that that the Christianity is still a very foreign thing to them. It is so hard for them to, to the, the, the conversion barrier is so high because they think that if they 
follow Christ, it's abandoning their Japanese identity and ethnicity. And, and the need for the church there is to help them see that, that they are not abandoning their family or traditions or their Japanese identity to follow Christ. You can be Japanese and follow Christ. You can be Native American and not be a Westerner to follow Jesus Christ. We learned this years ago when my family and I hosted a, uh, a 10th grade uh, girl from China, Lisa, came to live with us for a year and attend uh, Veritas Academy, and she lived in a Christian home. She went to a Christian uh, school. She attended here for worship every week, but was really transformational for her was when she attended a, a Chinese New Year service hosted by the Chinese congregation that meets at Calvary Church. She saw her own people for the first time testifying about their faith in Christ. And she heard testimony after testimony of her own people who were following Christ. And so she saw and heard for the first time that Christianity was not just a Western religion. And it was a year later that she professed faith in Christ and was baptized in another church. You know, Genesis says that like begets like in, in the physical, natural world, but like begets like in the spiritual realm as well. And we need cross-cultural missionaries who are willing to go across culture to help people, to help put the seed of the gospel into a new culture so that it can spread like wildfire among a people group. John Piper has said that missions exist because worship does not. Our task of missions will come to an end, but worship endures forever. And our, it's our mission to restore the image bearers of God into the right relationship and the rightful worship of our God. And we see that in verses 3 and 5, this, this echo, this uh, identical call of worship. And we know from the history of man that mankind is incurably religious. All people worship, even atheists worship. And the scriptures in Isaiah 44 and Psalm 115 make a mockery of those who worship idols, those who make and bow down to idols that are merely uh, made by human hands. The first two commandments have to do with worship, uh, to worship the Lord our God and Him alone and not make any uh, carved images or bow down to them. God will tolerate no rivals, that there is nothing in creation that is worthy of our worship. Man was made in God's image to reflect his image back to him in our rightful worship, our devotion and service to the Lord God. And God is worthy of our worship because he has come to serve us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. We forgive as we too have been forgiven. My last day in Taipei, Taiwan, as uh, my uh, host, Tim Yates, was taking me back to the airport. We stopped at a Buddhist temple. Uh, and there, this, this beautiful, elaborate temple uh, was swarming with people who were coming to get incense, to offer up prayers to various goddess, gods and goddesses. And, and I learned some things about uh, Buddhism in Taiwan. It's very materialistic. Uh, it's mixed with idolatry and, and folk worship. Uh, and I also learned their practice at the Chinese New Year last week that the Buddhist priests will take their idols off the altars and parade them around the city. Just an apt image of how the gods of the nations have to be carried. But the true God of all the earth carries us. We, we are his people and he carries us like a little child. 
and preserves us and sustains us and equips us uh, to follow in his likeness. You know, some people question, does the Old Testament provide a call to missions? But I would just look at verses 3 and 5 when it says, let all peoples praise you, implying such a call. You can think of other passages from Psalm 96 to make it more direct. Declare his glory among all the nations. His marvelous deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. It's our task to turn people from dead idols to worship the true and living God. The God who makes his name famous on earth. The God who shattered the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods. Who struck fear in the men of Jericho, turning Rahab to switch allegiances from her gods and her people to worship the living God. You see God making his name great throughout the Old Testament. God using his people to magnify his name, calling his prophets to testify against the nations, but even calling his people to be a witness to the truth of who God is, beckoning them to come and worship the Lord in his holy temple. You know, people were made to worship the one true and living God. And people are unique in their their tongue, their language, their culture. And it's, it's so important when we think of missions to reach a unique culture, helping them to worship God, offer their best to God in the way that he has made them and crafted them. When I was uh, in China, uh, when I was worshiping with uh, the local church there, I would have to say that I, I, in many ways, I was too comfortable in that service. In many ways, that, that service, it reflected so much Western influence uh, in its liturgy, uh, in, in its hymns, e- even the hymns were borrowing Western tunes. And it was very comfortable for me, even though it was all in Chinese, I couldn't understand the words, uh, but I could hum along and, with the hymns that I knew in English, which was sweet and ministered to me. But I thought to myself, what about the non-believing visitor among the Chinese who comes into that church and, and doesn't expect, doesn't, know, doesn't recognize the cultural form of worship, that it might seem foreign to them. And I didn't speak up, I didn't, you know, challenge uh, the leaders there, but it made me think about how, in that context, that, that their worship should be expressed in a way that, that speaks to the heart of its own people. And that, you know, we as the West, we have much to offer by training and encouragement, uh, but we should also encourage the people that we try to reach uh, to establish worship in forms and liturgies that speak to the heart and the language of their own people without just copying uh, from the West. In verse 4, we come to the climax of this passage where God's desire to be reconciled with the nations, to, to be their joy and to be their hope as the God who establishes justice on the earth. Recall that Jesus, just hours before his arrest, his trial, his torture and death, said these words to his disciples, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It is our commission to spread the Father's joy to the nations. Revelation 5.9 offers the vision of saints ransomed by the blood of Christ from every tribe, every tribe, language, people, and nation. And we see the kingdom of God advancing as we see more and more people coming into uh, the arms of the Lord Jesus. In, in the year 1900, one in every 21 people on earth was a professing father of Jesus Christ. By the year 2000, one in seven people professed faith 
in Christ. In the early 70s, 1970s, missiologists had identified some 16,000 remaining unreached people groups. These are peoples who lack a viable witness, who lack a church planting movement that is able to reach its culture with the gospel. Forty years later, that number had dropped to 8,000. There are some 8,000 unreached people groups. A quarter of those are in India. Over half of those people groups are in what we call the 1040 window. China has some 300 or more unreached people groups, even with its 100 million Christians that are being mobilized to reach uh, their culture with the gospel. Native Americans make up some 500 unique and distinct people groups who may share some common languages and common culture, but also unique distinctives that provide culture barriers that need a gospel witness to cross. So you can pray for Jeb and for Gail and their fellow workers who are seeking to reach a largely unreached people group. And why this matters, why this matters to us, we should consider just in the history of redemption, how God's offering hope to the nations, how God is establishing justice in a world that is filled with great evil. There are two places in history where God confronts evil. The first place is on the cross of Jesus Christ, where God sent his son to suffer and to bear the punishment for sin due to the elect, to, to wipe out evil forever so that his people might have fellowship with him. But the second place is in the final judgment, where God in his wrath will confront the unjust. He will confront those who resisted his mercy who insisted to face his wrath apart from the only way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's impending judgment has moved his people and missions uh, throughout the history of God's people. We consider how God scattered his people Israel into exile, punishing them for their idolatry and disobedience, but he used Israel's repentance and reforms to prepare the nations for the coming of Christ. The hundred years before Christ's coming, was the great missionary century of the Jewish people. Uh, The the Pharisees were the great evangelists of the Jewish people all throughout the Greco-Roman world. We hear Jesus speak of it in Matthew 23, 15, how Pharisees will cross land and sea to make a convert, a a God-fearer, a proselyte. And it was to such people that Paul went as they utilized Roman transportation as he followed the routes of the Pharisees to reach the Jewish centers of faith and to spread the gospel among his own people and among the Gentile God-fearers. And that gospel mission is advancing today. And some ask, you know, is it possible that we can hasten the day of the Lord? Is, is there anything we can do to, to speed this up so that Jesus will come back soon? I don't know about you, but I'm ready. Lord Jesus, come and return. But there is still work to be done. And there's a clue that uh, I believe, personally, from 20, Matthew 24, 14, where the Lord Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Only the Father knows the day and the hour of the return of Christ. But in some sense, God is gathering in representatives from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. And it's our mission to reach them, to cross those cultural barriers, to send out our own like we're sending the Blands, like we're sending Elizabeth Marsh 
as we uh, invite her to, to be with us next Saturday for our, our conference, that in some sense Christ will return when that commission is filled. So we have a task. We have a, a mission to pursue as God desires members of every unique culture group around his throne in eternal worship. So you, by this commission tonight, are investing in Jeb and Gail to help reach the hundreds of the largely unreached people groups among the Native American tribes and nations. Now remind Jeb and Gail tonight that the task is hard. It's a hard group of people to reach. They have a history, there's baggage, there's bondage, there's fear. Uh, there has been hurt by our culture, hurt by the church. And so the task takes patience and wisdom and the great moving of God's Spirit, so please pray for them. I also remind Jeb and Gail, as you well know, that there are many people who just don't care about this mission. There are many Christians who don't care about the Native Americans, sadly. But God cares. God desires a witness to every lost, unreached people group on the earth. And God is sending them with this burden, with this mission, with this vision to spread the blessing of God, the knowledge of his salvation among a people, poor in spirit, who desperately need the hope that is only offered in Jesus Christ. So I invite you, church, to pray for Jeb, to pray for Gail, to pray for their family, pray for their travels, pray for them as they seek to equip Native Americans to gather in the elect from among their own people. Pray for the Yates and the Chins and the Watanabes out in the Far East that God would raise up laborers for the great, vast harvest fields that, great, that the great continent of Asia holds before them. And we encourage you to take part in this week's missions conference to learn, to meet new people, to learn better how to pray, how to give, how to go yourself. And pray that you might learn how to be a better witness in your own sphere of influence among friends, neighbors, and family members. That you and that we together may make great the name of the Lord that all nations might be glad to know and worship and serve the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us such a great commission, such a great calling to be your witnesses to the nations. And we thank you for your desire that all peoples might know you, might worship you, might be reconciled to you. And we pray that you might continue to expand your kingdom in us and through us. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.